the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. After 400 years of silence, God sent an angel to Zacharias and Elizabeth to declare to them the birth of their son, John. John would be used of God in a mighty way to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah, the one that all of Israel had been waiting for. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Remember, the whole theme of the book of Luke is a reliable faith. Wanted to give us that foundation to show us that what we believe is true. It's based upon facts. And we saw last week that the story of Jesus' earthly ministry, it actually starts not with Jesus, but with God speaking to mankind again for the first time in 400 years. At the end of Malachi, God had told his people that he would not speak again until he sent Elijah. God announces to Zacharias that he will send John, his son, John the Baptist, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the people back to God so they'll be ready for their Messiah. Under the thumb of the Roman Empire, messianic fervor was at an all-time high in Israel. They were very expectant of the Messiah to come. And so the fervor for the Messiah was huge in Israel. Every woman dreamed of being the one to birth the Messiah. It will be a shocking thing when God sends his messenger to a backwater town in the middle of nowhere to find the willing servant who will fulfill that duty. So chapter 1, verse 26, as we're going to meet Mary this morning. Now it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Here we see the timing, and Luke is very good about giving us time. It says, in the sixth month. Now, in context, that would be the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So this would be one month after her pregnancy became known. Remember, she kept it a secret for five months, but then she started to show and it became apparent. For a month now, this news of this supernatural conception has been making the rounds. I don't know, we didn't make its way to Mary necessarily just yet because she doesn't know, the angel has to tell her. But the idea here is that He's going to come now at this time with a message. He's got a mission. It says that he was sent from God. The word there means to send out on a mission. Where was he sent? Well, you would think he'd be sent to Jerusalem, you know, one of the big places. But no, he was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is located in the hill country north of the Valley of Megiddo, about halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. It was in the middle of nowhere. It's still in the middle of nowhere. It's a very tiny town. In fact, if you come to Israel with us, we probably won't visit it just because there's just nothing there to see. It's a teeny tiny town. It was a small village having only one spring to supply fresh water to those who were living there. The name Nazareth means branch or sprout town. Bean Town might be an appropriate name for it because 
because, again, it was in the middle of nowhere. It was considered backwards by the people of Galilee, who were considered to be the backwards people in Israel. So, I mean, there could not be a more backwards, out in the middle of nowhere place But it's where a young woman named Mary lived, and she is the object of Gabe's mission. It says here that he was sent to a virgin, verse 27, who was espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Why bring up the fact she's a virgin here? Well, we're going to learn about another supernatural birth. However, this will be different than Elizabeth's pregnancy, which came about from God restoring the natural capabilities that her and Zacharias had. Mary's pregnancy will be a creative act of God alone. It will not be conception in the way that you and I were conceived. It mentions here that she was a virgin, but she was planning on getting married very soon. She was a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph from the house of David. Joseph was from the kingly line through Solomon. Now that line, when they came back to Israel from Babylon, the kings did not reign. They weren't allowed to, number one, and number two, God had cursed that line. Joseph is just another guy these days, even though he's from the kingly line through Solomon. So she is a spouse to him. Jewish marriages went through three phases. Engagement was the first phrase. And this is when the parents would arrange the marriage. And you'd be around at the July 4th barbecue, not pork, of course, but you'd be there for the July 4th barbecue party with your neighbors. You'd be sitting there and your Johnny would be playing with their Susie. And as the fireworks are going off, you'd look over at your neighbor and you'd say, you know, Susie's a nice girl. And he'd look at you and go, you know, Johnny's a great kid. And say, what do you think? And they say, let's do it, partner. And they'd shake hands and they'd make a deal and arrange that their kids are going to get married. So that would be that first phase. That could occur when they were little children or it could occur in their early teens. The second phase, is what's known as the espousal phase, the one mentioned here, which is when the man and the woman would choose to accept that arrangement. They wouldn't be forced to do that. But it turned out Johnny became a real arrogant guy and Susie's like, I don't want to marry him, dad. She didn't have to. They could break it off. But the espousal is when they accepted the arrangement and they would have a big ceremony where they do it and be very serious. This was a binding contract which could only be undone by a divorce. You had to get divorced. You were considered legally married at that time, even though you were not considered married in God's eyes yet. Now that time usually lasted a year. In fact, they would not see each other very often, if at all. The husband-to-be would go and prepare a place for his bride, and then she would wait for him. And then when he was done, he'd come and get her and take her to the third phase, which would be the wedding feast. And this is where the marriage would be consummated, celebrated, and from which they would live together as husband and wife moving forward. They're in that second phase there. We don't know where they're at in it, but they're going to get married, and they haven't even been seeing each other much at all lately. It would be quite an interesting situation and scenario for someone to come and tell you, you're going to be pregnant. Now, who does he come to? Well, her name was Mary. Mary is an interesting name. It's the Greek translation or transliteration of Miriam, which is that famous Jewish name. Remember Moses' sister named Miriam? Well, a very famous name, a very common name amongst the Jewish people. What is interesting about that name is Miriam means rebellion. In other words, when she was born, they said, this is a feisty girl, and they named her Miriam. However, back then, it, it didn't hold that the same type of meaning. They named them that in honor of Miriam. Mary is the exact opposite of someone who's rebellious toward God. Mary is a woman who's submitted to God, which will be really the main topic of what we're going to see today. Whatever your name might be, or maybe there's things that people have called you over the course of your life when you were young, but that doesn't have to be your name. God gives us a new name when we come to him, right? And he looks at us differently. You don't have to go by the names that are given to you by others. Now, what's interesting about Luke is Matthew actually primarily focuses on Joseph's perspective in the birth of Jesus. But Luke, we're going to see, he focuses primarily on Mary's perspective, which makes it very likely that Luke interviewed her. 
Remember when Jesus was on the cross, he turned to John the Beloved, the apostle, and he said, because his mother was right next to him, and he said, behold your mother. And then he turned to Mary and said, behold your son. So apparently Jesus didn't think too highly of his siblings because being the oldest, it was his responsibility to provide for his mother. Joseph had already died by now. And so he doesn't entrust the care of his mother to his brothers. He turns to John the Beloved and says, you're going to take care of her from now on. He turns to Mary and says, He's going to be like your oldest son. You're going to be like his mom now. And the Bible says that Mary went and lived with John and she stayed with him for the rest of her life. According to tradition, when John moved to Ephesus to become the senior pastor there around 70 AD, Mary traveled with John and that's where she died in Ephesus. That's true. That means she was alive and in Judea when Luke did his research for this gospel in 60 AD. So he would have been able to have personal conversations with her about these events, which is very likely why we get such detailed information on them. Because it's not like Mary had reporters following around and like, ooh, there's angel here, you know, and recording it. The only person who knew the events of this thing would have been Mary. So it's pretty neat to know that he probably had a conversation with her and got these details from her. What's Gabe's mission to see Mary about? To pronounce blessings upon her. Verse 28. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, you that are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. The word there, hail, is a little misleading. We almost hear the the Ave Maria, the whole idea where he came in and said, Hail, Mary, full of grace. That's not what happens here. The word hail actually means he comes in the door and says, it's your day. The word hell means you must be glad. It's like, you know, when Reader's Digest comes to your door and says, you've won a million dollars. That's kind of the idea here. He comes in and says, you've got every reason to be glad. Why? Because I've got three awesome blessings to share with you. Number one, you are highly favored. Now the phrase there means one who has been given a lot of grace. One who's been given a lot of grace. It's common to use the phrase full of grace here in regards to Mary. Mary, full of grace. In fact, the Ave Maria says that. But that implies something about Mary, that she was uniquely holy or sinless. The problem is you could never translate that this way. The participle is passive, which means the action is being done to her. It's not her participating in the action. The grace is shown to her. It's not something she achieved. It's not something she had in and of herself. It's something bestowed upon her. God poured out incredible grace upon her. I'm always glad when I read that God does the same thing for me, aren't you? Because the Bible says that, that he has poured out incredible grace upon us. It says, and I don't remember the exact verse, but it talks about how where it says, and we have all received grace for grace. Literally, that that means grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. God has given us so much that we don't deserve. He's poured out so many blessings upon us. The angel comes to let her know that you are highly favored by God. He, he loves you. He wants to do things for you that you could never earn. Secondly, he says, the Lord is with you. Romans 8.31 says that he is with us too. He's for us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Aren't you glad for that? That God is with us? What a beautiful blessing for her to know that God is with her. Because she's going to need to know that after she gets the news in a second. Because thirdly, the third blessing is, blessed are you among women. Literally, it means you're the one that God has blessed from among all the women that God could have chosen. Now, remember the times. Every woman dreamed of being the mother of the Messiah. But Mary now hears, it's going to be true of you. What is this about? How is this possible? And imagine what it would be like for a 13 to 15-year-old young lady who's engaged to be married in about a year for her to hear this news. Can you imagine hearing this news at this stage in your life? I mean, it would be confusing and terrifying. This isn't how my life was supposed to go. Maybe every woman wanted to be Messiah, but not become pregnant when you're engaged. It's funny how we are. The Lord's timing is not our timing. There are times I'll be praying for someone. God, will you work in someone's life? God, will you just move in their heart? God, will you bring about change? And then they call at 2 a.m. And you think to yourself, they hear, hello? I just had a breakthrough with the Lord. And you're thinking, Lord, now you answer it? Couldn't you wait?
wait till seven or eight. But the idea is the Lord's timing is not our timing. And sometimes when we pray for things, we don't realize what we want. But here the Lord's timing is perfect. And so even though this doesn't seem like the best time for this to happen to her, the Lord has a good plan for her. Mary is upset. It says, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. The word there, troubled, is a very mild word. It means to experience acute distress, to be confused or upset. She's like, what? This is not how it was supposed to work out. And yet it mentions that she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Literally, it means she began to try to come up with reasons how this would work. She may be young and confused, but she's also a smart gal who loves the Lord. So she's trying to figure out what it means, how it's going to work out. It's always better for me to say, God, what are you doing? So I can get on board instead of saying, God, what are you doing? You stink. This is not how it's supposed to be. She's trying to figure out how this is going to work out. And so the angel explains what God's doing in verse 30. The first thing he says to her is, fear not, Mary. Literally means you must not be afraid. There's every reason naturally for her to be afraid. And yet she must not be afraid. Why? For it says, you have found favor with God. You have begun to experience a great blessing from God. This is a good thing, Mary. She thought, is this a good? She's trying to figure out how it's all going to work out. Is this good? So the angel says, yes, it is good. This is not something to be upset about. Sometimes God's will for you can feel like something you should be upset about, but it's not. It's a blessing even if you can't see it yet. And I would ask you this morning, are you fearful because of some circumstance God has allowed into your life? Don't be anymore. God loves you and his heart is toward you and he wants to show you his grace. What's so good about this news? Well, here it is, verse 31. Gabriel tells her she's going to become pregnant. It says, and behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. The word there, behold, means pay attention. Right now you're focusing on the challenges, Mary, but I want you to focus on the blessing. And it is easy for us to focus on the challenges in front of us instead of the blessings God is bringing to us, which means you and I must make a conscious choice to focus on the blessings instead of letting our mind run amok. How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna do that? How is this gonna work out? And if you let your mind, those ideas, bounce around in your mind, you will get stressed. You will begin to worry. You will become fearful. But you have to make a conscious thought to take those thoughts captive and to say, Lord, what do you say in your word? What's true? What are you doing in my life here that's good for me? These words of the angel would immediately call to mind the prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14, where he says, behold, I give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and will give birth to a child and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So when he says to her here, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, that's the only part that's different. Everything else is the same. It would immediately call to mind that. Now, why the change? Why doesn't the angel say you'll call his name Emmanuel? Well, Jesus is the Greek transliteration of the name Joshua or Yahshua. That was Jesus's name. His name was not Jesus. That was just because Luke was writing in Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek, translated in Greek to us to English. That's the anglicized form of it. But his name was Joshua or Yahshua, which means the Lord, our salvation, or the Lord is salvation or the Lord saves. That was his name. Emmanuel means God with us. But God explains to Joseph in Matthew chapter one in his dream that they're to call him Joshua because he will save his people from their sins. So while he is God with us, the name that everyone will know him by is that mission, the cross, that he's going to save us and rescue us from our sins. What separates this child from any other supernatural birth? I mean, John the Baptist's birth is supernatural. We have Old Testament births that were supernatural. So what makes this one so unique? Well, verses 32 and 33, he shall be great, or literally this one shall be important. Why? Because he shall be called the son of the highest, the son of the most high. It's the equivalent of saying he shall be called the son of God, the son of God. I'm a child of God. If you're born again today, you're a child of God too. But we're adopted children of God, a little bit different than Jesus. 
He is the only begotten of the Father. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God had sex with Mary, as the Mormons teach. That did not happen. Uh, it doesn't mean that God had sex with anybody. The Muslims believe that when we say that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, they say, God would never do anything animalistic like that. We don't believe that either, okay? The Bible declares Jesus is the only begotten Son. When you and I normally think of beget, we think of and will begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. We think of the physical birth that to give birth to. But the word only begotten is a different word. And it means the only one of its kind within a specific relationship. So while you and I become adopted children of God by faith, Jesus is the only one who has the title son of God because he's exactly like the father. He's the only other one who is. He's exactly like the father. He's not called the son because he was birthed. In fact, all the references to God begetting Jesus, you are my son this day I have begotten you. If you look at the context of every statement, none of them refer to Christ's birth. They all refer to him ruling and reigning. They all refer to his exaltation. The idea of him being the only begotten refers to his position, not a physical birthing. Now, Jesus was physically born, but he wasn't created like you and me in that moment. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10 as we get Jesus's perspective on his own birth. I have no perspective on my own birth. I remember nothing. I don't have a perspective, but look at Jesus's birth. His is a little bit different. Hebrews chapter 10 verses five through seven. It says, wherefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, He had a thought in his mind when he came into the world. I didn't have any thoughts when I came into the world. I had to be taught how to articulate the things I was feeling and thinking into words. And sometimes they didn't work out so well. Jesus had these thoughts when he was born. Wherefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering, you would not, or that's not what you're looking for. But a body have you prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've had no pleasure. That hasn't satisfied your desire, Lord. You wanted something that would make us closer to you. Then said I, that wasn't achieving what God wanted, the old covenant. Then said I, lo, verse seven, I come. In the volume of the book is written to me. All these sacrifices all pointed to me. I come to do thy will, O God. That was Jesus's thoughts when he was born. He was different than any of us. He wasn't created in that moment, okay? He already understood language. I don't think he came out and said, yo, you know, I don't think he did that. But the idea was, is all those thoughts, he was different than us because he always had been. He was God in the flesh. God prepared a body for him. Jesus wasn't created as a baby and Jesus entered that body. That's different than us. God chose to enter our world through the form of a human body, birthed naturally through Mary and yet not created like we are. Therefore, the title son of God, unlike our title as a son or daughter of God, adopted child of God, his title of son of God can only have one meaning. It's a statement of deity. He is God. God come in the flesh. When we talk about him being the son of the most high or the son of God, that's what we mean, that he is God come in the flesh. That should not surprise us at all. The prophecies about the Messiah made it clear that it was God himself coming to rule and reign, that that's who the Messiah would be. We sang about it in that song. And his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting, what? Father, the Mighty God. How is that possible? Well, it says, for unto us a child is born, but also unto us a son is given. He is both God and man, 100% each, God and man. Messiah, that's who he is. And we say the son of God, it is God come in the flesh to be our savior. 
That's just where it starts. When it says wonderful counselor, all those things. Then it says, and on his shoulders, the government shall rest. On David's throne, he shall sit forever and ever. The angel's not done. He goes on in chapter one, verses 32 and 33. After he says, he shall be great and be the son of the highest. He says, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Messiah's rule is what Gabriel mentions next. So if Mary was confused before, things are clear now. I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. Messiah. Wow. Wait a second. How can that happen? Given my current status, I, I'm not with anyone. Currently I'm, I'm engaged. I have no intention of being with anybody before I get married. How can this be? And so Mary in verse 34, she asked the angel, how shall this be seeing that I know not a man? Literally it means by what means shall this child exist seeing I'm not presently being intimate with a man? That's what it means. I'm not presently being intimate with a man. So by what means shall this child come into existence? Mary had knew about the birds and the bees. She understood how kids come about and she knew that wasn't gonna happen in her life until she married Joseph. How is this gonna happen? Would God ask her to marry someone else? Would God ask her to do something different? What would God have her do? And we see this beautiful response of the angel in verse 35, the gentle response of the Lord, because the truth is she's not gonna have to do anything, but simply just yield to the Lord. For it says in verse 35, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. That phrase to come upon someone is a familiar phrase from the Old Testament, referring to when God's supernatural empowering for a task came upon an individual for a season. God would anoint a prophet to speak his word or anoint someone to do a miracle and then his spirit would leave. He would just empower him for that specific time period or that season of life or for that specific moment. That would be something she'd be familiar with. It's not gonna be any different than that, Mary. God's gonna, by his spirit, empower you so that you can do this. Well, how will it happen? It says, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. You. The word they're overshadowed, it just means to cast a shadow like a cloud moving in. You know, it speaks of gentleness, the idea of just something gently coming over you and it does affect you and yet it still seems very far away. It's the idea of just almost like a gentle touch. It reminds me of when God revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. God was so gentle with Moses. He didn't overpower him with his full presence. Moses was so blessed by that that he fell on his face and wanted more, right? He said, Lord, this is awesome. Like Moses wasn't frightened or terrified by that touch of God on his life. And it's the same type of thing God's gonna do here with Mary. His creative power would rest upon her in a way that she'd barely notice. Only thing she'd notice was in the ways that it would be good. Therefore, in other words, because of this supernatural act of God that will separate Jesus's birth apart from every other human being that's been born, he will be proven to be God himself in the flesh. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the son of God. My birth was by natural means. And I would dare to say that all of our births were by natural means. A sperm and an egg got together and boom, you came out. But Jesus's birth is unique. I was reading my commentaries as I was studying this week and one of them said, you know, to be a Christian, you don't need to believe in the virgin birth. You know, we can all believe different things about this. No, you have to believe in the virgin birth. And here's why. Jesus is not unique if there's no virgin birth. There are multiple problems with it. But Jesus, first off, he would carry our sin nature with him if if he wasn't born of a virgin birth, which he did not. He was tempted always as we are, yet like Adam who was not born in sin, Jesus also was not born in sin. And therefore, Adam failed, Jesus succeeded and therefore could take his place. He could be our representative where Adam was our negative representative. Jesus could be our positive representative. So it's important that he does not have dad's DNA. Secondly, there was a curse upon the line of Joseph. He could not be king if he has the bloodline of Joseph. We're going to learn later on Mary's bloodline comes through David too, but through another son, Nathan, which has no curse upon it. There are important reasons, but thirdly, and most importantly, he's not like you and me, even though he's fully human. He is God. He is God. 
And if we rip away the virgin birth and we say that never happened, we are messing with that idea. He's just a really good guy. He's a miracle worker, whatever. No, he is not someone who just this Christ consciousness came upon. He was God in the flesh. He stepped into our world to die for us. It's important. It's a part of what we believe. So often we come to God's plans for our lives and we're fearful of surrendering to God's plans. What's he going to make me do? Is he going to make me miserable? Mary did face challenges being the mother of the Messiah. I'm sure few believed her explanation. I don't imagine she went and rushed out to tell everybody, hey, I'm pregnant, but it's okay. In fact, we saw that Jesus was often accused of being born out of wedlock. So we know that that was a stigma that kind of accompanied him and her. God took care of Mary just like he'll take care of you. And so I ask you this morning, what are you holding back from surrendering to God because you're afraid of what will happen if you do? Don't hold back anymore. That's not all the good news. There's more good news for Mary. Verse 36. And what an encouragement this would be. And behold, check this out too, Mary, your cousin Elizabeth. Now the word cousin there means relative. They probably were not cousins. Elizabeth is considerably older than Mary, but they were relatives. Behold, your relative Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Mary, you asked a question. How can this happen? Well, this is Mary's ultimate answer because God is not limited by your limitations, Mary. He is not limited by your limitations. And do you believe that today? Do you believe that God is not limited by your limitations or do you ascribe your limitations to God? Trust who the Lord is. He is not a man like us. He is all powerful, almighty, and he can do anything. What's Mary going to do now that all her questions have been answered? Well, once Mary understood what was being asked of her, it's such a cool thing. That was enough for her. Verse 38. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. And so the angel departed from her. I love this. What amazing courage in this young woman because the angel has been telling her, hey, behold, 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 check this out. Pay attention to this. Don't forget this. And now she stands tall and looks at him and goes, behold, I want you to listen to my answer. I love that because I mean, how many times does the Lord tell us to do something We're like, okay, God, I'll do it. I need to do this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I'll go help with the laundry. She stands up and says, behold, I want you to hear my answer. Pay attention, buddy. <laughs> I want you to hear my answer. What amazing courage. What is her answer? She says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. I am the Lord's handmaid. What does that word mean? What's well, the word doule in the Greek? And maybe you've heard it before because it sounds similar to doulos, which is what Paul called himself. Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. This is just the feminine version of that. A doule is a bond slave, a willing servant of the Lord. She says to the angel, I want you to tell the Lord, I'm okay with whatever he wants. I'll do whatever he asks. He's in charge of my life. What an awesome answer. How many times do we answer that way when God tells us to do something? How about tomorrow, God, or whatever, you know? We have all our reasons, but she says, I'll do it. She had every reason not to. Well, no one will believe me. But she just says, Lord, I'm your willing servant. Whatever you want, I'll do it. She says here in verse 38, be it unto me according to your word, however you say. You know what? So much good comes from starting right there in your heart. Wherever you want in me, God, I'm game. You call the shots. You make the rules. You set the course. Because when I say that and I mean it, then what does it matter if I find myself shipwrecked on an island like Paul? I'm here at the Lord's pleasure. He's got, must have a reason for it. Or if you get put in jail like Peter, you wonder why Peter could sleep when he's in jail and the next day's morning he's facing execution. Why not? The Lord put me here. Or if you experience the mocking of your faith by a family member during Christmas this year, what does it matter? I'm his bond slave. And as a result, I don't have any rights. We often say, I'm an American. I got rights. You're a Christian. You don't have any rights. I'm glad for the rights we have in our country legally, but too often we establish those rights in other places we don't need to. You can't treat me like that. It's a free country. 
Well, maybe God wants you to be treated like that. And maybe your witness in how you handle being treated like that, instead of saying, you can't treat me like that, might cause them to think twice about what they believe. See, whenever I assert my rights and my interactions with others, what I'm saying is, is that God, I'm not going to allow you to do whatever you want. I'm not having it. I'm not having you have your way. See, we need more Marys and Josephs willing to suffer mockery or being misunderstood by our culture if it means that's what God wants for us and what will bring glory to his name. Will you do that? Because here's the wonderful blessing. Being carried within that bundle of hardship is a blessing of God's presence himself, that he'll be with you the whole step of the way, every step of the way. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.